0: Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeger. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, we have a special guest today. I'm
1: going to let you introduce this special oh. guest. She is your
0: partner in crime in All the right. work that you've been doing in undergrad <laughs> preparation. Yes, um, today we have Dr. Missy, officially Eileen Glavey, uh, from the <laughs> University of South Florida. And Missy, we're thrilled to have you join us today.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so, Missy, I thought you know Lisa and I are doing a season that we're kind of calling you know a few of our favorite things, and certainly during my career, um, it, one of my passions, as all of you guys know, is is teacher preparation, yes. and I, I, I've been kind of focused specifically on on that. Uh, my heart's kind of in it, and I never intended to be working on undergraduate programming and things, but. Um, I did because I care deeply about having a teaching force that understands how to get
2: things done.
1: Well, and
0: if anybody hasn't heard, we have a teacher shortage.
1: Oh, uh, interesting. It's, it's, it's a you, crisis. And, and you know what, Becky, I just have to give you and Missy you know, some shout outs, and I know others have involved, and you'll give them their kudos deserved, but you know, our undergrad was like most of them in the country, not only dwindling in enrollment, we had suspended ours. And you really had a vision, which I hope the readers will, or the listeners, <laughs> I guess you can read or listen to our <laughs> podcast, because we do transcribe it. Um,
0: what, what would you tell
1: them was the transformation that you did? Because it really was powerful, and I think you got a lot of bragging rights here. Yeah,
0: well, thanks, Lisa. <laughs> well, you know, we were at zero in 2016 because we had discontinued our program. Yeah. So understanding, as you said, you know, we, we, there's an out, outpouring from the community saying, hey, we need more special ed teachers. You know, are you gonna bring it back? And also at the same time, the university was saying, you either have to bring it back or completely cut it. So we had some decisions to make as a, as a program area. Um, my decision in that first meeting was to say, okay, I'm willing to bring it back, but only if we can transform it because I just didn't feel like what we were doing was effective. I can look around at the numbers of teachers being produced. I can look around at the outcomes for kids with disabilities, and I wasn't particularly happy with it. And people weren't staying in the field. So I had, you know, my colleague said, sure, Hines, if you're willing to do it, just take it and do it. Like, just do it. And I'm like, okay, you guys. <laughs> we all
1: did think you were crazy. You and we knew that. They so already it knew good. it. They already <laughs> knew it.
0: So, so at the time, I was lucky enough to not be doing this in a silo because I had people working with me who were coming and working on their, scholars working on their PhDs. So we had a team. I had a built-in team. Mm -hmm. And the key was to have a team, as Lisa, you talk all the time, about people who are like-minded, who will bring you energy and make it positive, not tell you all the things that won't work. So Dr. Glavy was a key member of that team who helped build a program that focused on community embedded experiences. And we were very, very specific about that. It revolved around the idea of using a customer service model of saying yes when students ran into a barrier we solved it by we i mean missy (laughs) and and our other colleagues um annette Ramaldo and whitney handley who worked with us on on developing this but you know somebody answered the phone somebody responded to an email within 24 hours we sent a welcoming message you know we created a little online form and somebody called immediately to say, hey, we're glad you're interested. So that immediacy really mattered, and I think helped us stay connected. Missy, as we worked on that project, what did you see early on as we started thinking about how to reinvigorate the program at UCF? What did you think initially you know, about the process? What, what really stood out to you?
2: well i think to your point of what you just said was that people felt connected almost immediately honestly it was the person it was a personalized approach to is they sent an email to us saying they wanted to learn more about our program and we made that phone call and it was like hey i'm missy let's talk what are you interested in doing and um and kind of hearing what they wanted and the flexibility that they needed drove how we developed the program, how we how we laid it out for them in terms of, okay, so we're hearing this is what students need, this is what they're interested in. So how can we um, plan our program in such a way that it appeals to students who need flexibility? That's what I would say.
0: And flexibility is actually a great word that I'm glad you used because we definitely Planned for a flexible program that didn't really exist because courses weren't aligned at times that teachers could take them, or if I'm a paraprofessional trying to take classes, and nothing aligned. So we went through a process of looking at what do we need to cut? You know, what do we need to change? How can we change it? I do want to point out, and Missy, I know you can't define this, mm-hmm. but that personal approach was something that Missy naturally does well mm-hmm. she knows how to connect with with undergraduates she knows how to connect with Absolutely. other people yeah and so part of it too was looking at and so does you know Whitney I would say Whitney and Annette were our front people and me and Annette are the ones in the background you know like we, we were nobody wants to talk to us we're not as friendly so um, <laughs> um, so anyway but but it kind of helps shape okay. Mm-hmm. So here are people who are doing this what are they doing that's working so as a leader i'm looking at okay not only am i reading about customer service i'm looking at people who are actually doing it saying wow they're doing this they're doing this and it's getting this and we grew our numbers um over the time that that we worked together we grew our numbers from zero to i think 30 or 40 in the first year or two Mm -hmm. and then now we have um over 100 students in our undergraduate exceptional education programs. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm sorry, so let's imagine, you. Missy, I have
1: a question for you. And I think, Becky, you can piggyback on it. You are at a university that doesn't have a Whitney, Annette, a Missy standing there <laughs> to make the phone calls and be the friend. Like, like what, what would be the one thing you would tell me if I'm the program of an end of one faculty member wanting to grow my undergrad program? What, what's the first thing either one of you would tell me to do to get started?
2: Well, in that respect, I think um, starting small, honestly, I think that's what we did was we started with a small cohort of students that we interviewed and like we said, spoke to that we thought, okay, this group will fit well. We found a school to work with, even if it's one classroom to work with and say, okay, these people are interested in change. We all have the same mission. And um and we knew that first semester saying, okay, there might be some quick changes. It's a little fluid, the process right now, but um, but let's get through this together. And I think everyone's committed to that same idea of we all want to, um, you know, build education and, you know, build great teachers, but we are going to have to be flexible in the process. And that included, and I was just going to add to what you said before, Becky, is that um, piece in terms of flexibility, I think that the students, particularly non-traditional students, um, the flexible scheduling. So they could go in, we had field experiences that are required in teacher preparation programs, but we built it in such a way that they could pick when they could do it, where they could do it, what time they could do it. We had things in the morning, we had things on the weekends, we had things in the evening, as much as possible that they could pick their embedded field experiences. So. I don't know becky i'll go ahead and let you add more to that
0: <laughs> no that's I, i'm so glad you really you're really reminding me of some of the the things that those very early conversations were and the things mm-hmm. that that emerged so um that flexible opportunities for students at that pre-service level because they had something a community experience with every single class um, we didn't none of us went out and observed them doing it i think that's brings up another point missy that we ran into is removing artificial barriers mm-hmm. so i think a lot of times when people want to plan a field experience i think it's got to be something big and formal and there's 14 people signing this paper and mm-hmm. we tried to flip that we tried to flip that um missy can you tell us a little bit about i know since since that time you know missy's been off You know getting ready to build other programs other places what are the types of things that that you find either are a barrier or or a need as you try to implement some strategies for reinvigorating a program a teacher prep program
2: i think it's still this barrier that even I, Becky, you know, I know you love to share that story in the beginning that I was the one who was like, can we do that? (laughs) (laughs) I do think it's sort of um, that um, buy in that you get at the university level. And it's everybody, you know, we all have the same intent and goal, but it's really being able to think we have to do this completely differently. So we can't teachers, we know, are leaving the field, we're preparing teachers, and they're still leaving. You know, in, in the state of Florida, we have. Um, I looked it up actually quickly before we came on because I was curious. So, in exceptional education, it is. Um, I'm going to look at my notes because I wrote it down for myself. So, the areas, so we, the number one is we have teachers in exceptional, the shortage there is they're out of field, they're not trained in exceptional education and teaching in the field number two is the vacancies. We're only 14, which isn't great either, but out of um, 26 certification programs, I think, where exceptional education is 14 for completers. So we know people are completing, they just don't want to stay in the profession. So we're continuing to uh, train and prepare pre-service teachers for a field that really also needs a complete overhaul. So it has to start with us somewhere.
0: Yeah. And I think
2: going out, wanting to make that change yeah. be disruptors.
0: I think our team, I think the most fun part about doing this was to really ask why questions. Mm-hmm. So every single thing that was in place, we asked why, why is that a rule? Why is that a rule? Why is that a rule? You know? Right. And so we got rid of a lot of things that had just been in place, you know, um, different portfolios, this, that, the other. So sure there's some state requirements, but how What kind of flexibility do we have to change this or that? Contacting the state. Okay, can it look like this? You know, to reduce the bulk and the burden and to really work on creating teachers who authentically understood how to solve a problem and how to manage their stress when they were feeling stressed. We put them in stressful situations Mm -hmm. intentionally. So
1: it sounds like you had a great party.
0: (laughs) So my last question for you, because we
1: were talking earlier about, you know, change coming from a party mindset. But Missy, what is the thing that that brought you the most joy? And I'd love to hear that from you, Becky. And that's my last question for you both.
2: Oh, for me, honestly, the most joy was, I mean, even that very first cohort, it it was the feedback from students who were so excited and all of them still in the field teaching. They loved their job so much that it was just the stories. They would, they would literally call me on the phone and say, oh my goodness, that strategy we talked about worked. I was so amazed. The student's doing great. And those were the things that brought me joy, that motivated me to say, okay, we can keep going forward, even, even pushing against um, some barriers. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think, you know, Missy mentioned picking up the phone. To be honest, Lisa, um, what brought me joy was, was the success of it and the excitement, once we got them to understand, forget about the grade for a minute, you guys. Are you are we making a difference right this minute? I don't care how many points you get for that service learning experience. Did you change the life of a child? Because that's what you should be worried about. Yeah. You know? And so those I still call-
2: say that back think- <laughs> <Those, those, laughs> for me I still say that yeah, to students.
0: Now. Those those calls that come in, they're not about how many points do I get? Yes. You know, Missy was answering calls about, oh, mm-hmm. on a daily level. But I wanna end by saying we had people who answered the phone yeah we and i'm not saying that faculty need to give out their cell phone numbers and answer personal calls all the time but the truth is we did and so taking that to a way of i don't know is there a need to set up a google phone number that different people answer but somebody gets a phone call answered when they need it yeah Sounds similar to recruitment of the doc suits we We're about
1: that <laughs> personal touch. Well, we thank you very much for joining us, Missy. Thank Absolutely. you, Becky, for all you've done to change the face <laughs> of the field locally. It's a big deal and your entire team. So if you have questions for us, please send us a tweet at Access Practical, or you can send us a question on our Facebook page at Practical Access. Thanks, Missy.
2: Awesome. Thanks, you guys. Bye. See ya.